1: LMFM Sunday
2: Sport With thanks to the LMFM app Download for free now And take us with you everywhere you go
1: Welcome back to LMFM Sunday Sport. A reminder, we'll have reaction from both of those National League games earlier on. Louth had a good win over Limerick in the football and Meath beat Donegal in the hurling to maintain their 100% start to the new campaign. We'll have a reaction from Saoirse Bolfin, And uh, nothing in from Mickey Hart just yet, but I presume it'll be Mickey Hart The column Corrigan gets a chat with. But we play those out as soon as we get them. In the meantime, I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the studio by Irish sports writer Paul Lennon, local man as well. And uh, recently retired, Paul, can we say that now or are you still uh, keeping, your, well, keeping your pen in the ink yeah. just in case?
2: Uh, on a break at the moment, David. Uh, f- left the start at the end of September last. After uh, many decades there, very enjoyable decades, and of course, very enjoyable decades prior to that. Worked locally. Did, started off doing a little bit back in the summer of eighty-one. Would you believe with uh, Your predecessors, Bonside Radio, down in Mill Lane and Draw. Uh, people of people of my generation and older, and a bit younger, remember that that was the pirate station that basically broke the ice in this part of the world for, for local radio as, as there was Carousel and Dock and, and there was uh, radio stations in Avon but did a few months there then went to college and got into I uh, worked for the local news in Drogheda and then the Mead Weekender in Avon and then before I went on to uh, work in the Star and I also worked for a while freelancing in, in the Sunday Tribune another great paper and uh, sadly that, that uh, it yeah. made its demise it made its end about I think 11-12 years ago
1: yeah and I mean we were just talking about it there and I was talking about that piece that I read with you um, from the study, where it was kind of just a recap of your of your a brief run through of your career really I suppose but you know we were talking off air there you were at Italia 90 and Euro 88 as a, as a supporter and you travelled to a lot of games um, in the 80s and before that Talk to us a little bit about that because obviously times have changed so much and like most people would fly here, there and everywhere. But like, I think getting to getting over to Scotland, I think you had one story in there where you're talking about the, the travails of getting over there and all the little the little stories that come out of these trips yeah. that you make when when maybe you're on a bit of a budget and you can't afford to fly, so you have to be creative. Yeah. Like different times altogether, but memorable stuff all the yeah, same. Yeah, the,
2: the, the trip to Hamden in, in February '87, which is about 36 years ago now, which is a bit, bit, bit scary. It a, I don't know how, how it came about. Um, my good colleague and a colleague, Former colleague of yours here, uh, Cahill Dervin, uh, who was then working with, with the Chronicle, had, was just about to move to the Sunderland Echo in England to work. And uh, he and Jerry Gorman, if you were at Jerry Gorman, of the Meeting District League, decided they'd run a, a trip to Glasgow for the Ireland uh, Scotland uh, Euro 88 qualifier. A huge game. Mm. Ireland started well on the Jack Charlton, but going to Scotland was going to be a, a real litmus test of how, how the team was developing. So the boys hired a bus. Uh, Jerry got the tickets for, the, for Hamden through the FEI because he was obviously involved with the FEI even at that stage so we were at the bus but it was a classic we got us, there was no heating on the bus we left outside Equus the old Equus pub in Navan, well. at four o'clock in the morning and uh, we got as far as just outside Lisburn we had getting the ferry from Larne across to uh, Stranraar and uh, the bus stopped shut you know, shuttered to a halt and uh, the, the driver of the bus got up and uh, he asked if we got an elastic band and we are a bit worried about how we have, you know, the, the, uh, <laughs> how are we going to get the Glasgow on an elastic band. So bizarrely it fell a fella halfway down the bus had an elastic band in his pocket. Uh, the driver went up, rooted underneath the steering wheel for about two or three minutes, obviously used the elastic band. The bus restarted so that's how we got to Scotland and we, that's how we saw Mark Lawrence's famous goal on the back of an elastic band. So, so uh, I actually went to London. I didn't, I didn't uh, risk coming back on the bus, <laughs> back to Nava afterwards. I went down to London to meet a, f- a few friends. But that win in in, in, uh, in Hamden, the 1-0 win over Scotland, to me began, was, was, was the day that, the, that uh, the Charlton era really began. Hmm. Because to, to beat Scotland away, a really good team, had, had outstanding players in, in its side. had been at World Cups uh, in the previous years, would we'll go to the 1990 World Cup but Ireland won then with a classic Jack performance his, his, his famous team of, of McGrath and Whelan playing as the full backs uh, you know Brady was in midfield Houghton mm. on the right side of midfield it was an incredibly talented team and but they played the Jack way the play percentages it wasn't always pretty but they got results mm. and uh, that was the foundation that was the, a key block in the foundation for the team and where it went from then
1: yeah and like, to be around in that time and again like we can we can all count ourselves lucky that we were around for that that era of Irish football when they were qualifying for European Championships and World Cups and beating big names and it was like when you think back in day, it was incredible but to be to be a supporter first of all and then to be working uh, your first uh, your first working assignment in a major tournament for with Ireland was the 94 World Cup you were telling me earlier so you know Italian 90 was obviously the start of it you would say ninety four. I suppose didn't end in a great way with the Holland game and all that, but that that win against Italy. But the whole the whole setup around Jack Charlton and you talked about it in that piece. I mentioned it must have been fantastic because we we, we can talk about access and everything else maybe a little bit later on. But the the access you guys had back then when everything was a bit more relaxed and maybe you didn't have as many press officers or any in fact maybe but. What was that like to be to be covering at the team at that time? It must be amazing.
2: It was great. I I I started in the Star and the Tribune late eighty nine, beginning in nineteen ninety, and I was in the periphery for for a year or two. But by by ninety one, I was I was covering covering the Ireland team for, for for the Star and had done a little bit, as I say, for the Tribune and the Star before that. And you you got in. You're, you're lucky in that there was only x number of, of, of reporters local, local, national radio, the local radio scene, and the, and the alternative independent scene in, in, in national radio were just beginning uh, you obviously had ORT there we had limited numbers of, of, of uh, written media so it, it was easier there was no website, or no websites there was no social media so it was, it was quite contained and there was only X number of people that did the job so once you you got in to cover the team got to meet Jack Charlton got to meet the, the players once they, they trusted you and as long as you didn't break that trust Particularly with Charlton, Charlton would tell you stuff off the record. Now, I, once I was in the company of, of the late great Peter Byrne, uh, the late great Noel Dunn from the you know Peter from from the Irish Times, uh, Charlie Stewart from from the, from the press, Gabriel Egan from OT, people like that who who, who who had been there for for years, were respected in the industry. Once you're with them, and you know you you, you cover the team, you didn't break confidence where they Like Charlton would tell you stuff off the record as to why he was playing certain players, why he was playing a certain system. Whom he was a bit annoyed with, so you could use that as background. You could use it to, to just put, nuance your articles to give you uh, give people a, a back a flavour, of what was going on without attributing a source, and you had that. So the access compared to now, it it, it was like chalk and cheese. Like a diff- it was a different era, obviously, and. That is is it. I feel sorry now for journalists starting off that you don't get that access now because there's layer upon layer, barrier upon barrier, often, not all the time, between the media and the, the, the players, right. and it's I, 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 my, my colleagues in the GA tell me at times they could <laughs> equally as, be as tough to get interviews and get access in the GA front, mm. whereas the GA was equally as open. We we, we used to we, you go into the into the uh, Crow Park dressing rooms after all our finals. You go in after a Leinster final, you you get access to a dressing room after a game. Maybe it was a bit that was a bit too much, mm. but still there was a trust there with the, with, the, with with the Sean Bolands of this world and 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 the, and the big managers. That once you respected them they would respect you and there was a line nobody sat down and gave you a list of rules you just you, you knew what they were and it was, a, it was a magnificent time to be, to be working in the media then.
1: Yeah, because there's that famous photograph of of Paddy O'Shea, I think, after Westmead won their, their Leinster title. Was it in 04 when he's in the middle of the dressing room? I'm not sure if he's... Uh, I think he may have a towel around him, if, yeah. a, if anything else. And the lads are just standing there with the with the mics out and the, the recording device out. Likewise, myself, growing up, I remember Jimmy McGee in the midst of the Mead dressing room after they won in 88, I think. And the lads are just walking by and he's grabbing them, you know, quick word, which would never happen now. And you touched on it there. I mean... Yeah, it's, like there's a happy medium, I know, but even in terms of, you talk, you talk about access and getting access to people, but even in terms of the openness, like I got the feeling with, with Jack and he would kind of, as you said there, he'd give you a little bits of information off the record, but just more open in general, which I would say is completely gone now and everyone's a little more savvy and with good cause, I suppose, yeah. in some ways. Just going
2: back, go back to Jack here, the, the, the team used to stay at the airport hotel there. The, the uh, thing used to be the forty post house. So it's now... Uh, Whatever it is, I can't remember the name, the chain that has it now. But the team would stay there to train in the AUL complex, which is about a mile and a half away. They would come in after training. Jack would, uh, Packy was one of his lieutenants. Uh, when he became when later on and he would sit down with Morris Setters, maybe one or two of the senior players a jacket of a fag uh, have a cup of tea and then he would talk amongst themselves amongst the staff and a few senior players and then he'd meet the media and before or afterwards he would talk to the media off the record about things he obviously had to be say things for me but he, he was quite good and he would be critical of players at times I can remember him having to go Ray, uh, about Ray Helton's form before the 1994 World Cup and he said that Ray wasn't playing well Ray needed to improve and uh, it was basically a G up to Ray that if he didn't book up in, in the friendlies before the World Cup in 1994 he might make the team because uh, Jason McIntyre was pushing strongly to get his place in the team had, had emerged uh, like a rocket at, at Bolton at the time and it had the desired effect. And of course, who scored the goal in the giant stadium against Italy that day it was Ray Houghton, who was a man rejuvenated, a man revived, a man who who, who knew what, he, he knew Jack well. He respected Jack. Jack respected him. But Jack wasn't afraid to say publicly, and that was refreshing as well. And if you if go on go on YouTube and you see old Jack Charlton interviews, and, you, and sometimes I, even still I think, oh, was, was he that abrupt at times about certain situations about players? and he was and uh, that was refreshing as well that there was I think there was a bit, bit more I wouldn't call it honesty but a bit more bluntness about, at times about the way people spoke in um, the, in, in,
1: from the playing and, and managerial end Was Jack your, your favourite manager to deal with down the years?
2: He, he, he I would say most most work. you could deal with them all. Trappetones. English was poor, which was which was a problem. But that in it's, it's, itself created a whole a whole industry of us trying to interpret what was what he was actually saying, mm. despite the, despite the best uh, efforts of of his, the, of his translator. The cat, in, Spinelli. The, cat, the cat was in the sack. cat was in the sack. Wasn't <laughs> that one <laughs> the classic? You know, that was fairly one of the more straightforward ones. You know, trying to work out what he actually meant, He started going down the road of tactics. Um, it, it, but uh, Trapattoni always had one lovely line he'd always talk, if, if, he, if people were questioning his uh, about uh, its tactics in the game or why he'd done a certain thing and why he was so defensive minded, which he was, was that uh, he'd roll out having marked Eusebio out of a game, marked Pelle out of a game and marked Cruyff out of a game and when, when people come out with that stuff it's kind of hard to question him too much after that because they've been there, they've done it and uh, I'm old enough to remember the great Trapattoni Juventus side of the 70s and early 80s that were probably the best team in the world even though they didn't actually win the European Cup when he was coach but they were an incredible team and they, they, they formed the base of the, t- the Italian team that won the 82 World Cup that was a, basically a Trapattoni team mm. Taken from the from the the black and white and 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 wearing the blue of Italy.
1: Yeah, absolutely unbelievable stuff, really, and uh, so many so many great memories. We we'll take a quick commercial break. I can tell you, it's to Cork eight points to Dublin with uh, thirty one minutes gone in Porky Queen. Quick commercial break. We'll be back with more from Paul after that. Welcome back to LMFM Sunday Sport. I'm joined in studio by Paul Lennon, Irish football writer of many years now. Recently retired, but I still think we'll be seeing a little bit more of Paul's uh, articles and whatnot around the place in the years to come. Paul, we were talking there before the break about uh, the managers that you dealt with over the years. Um, but let's just look at tournaments for a moment, because you talked about USA 94 being your first one on the job and uh, what a what a baptism that was in the international football tournament. Just what Absolutely legendary moments, like you talked about the Ray Houghton goal, but just to be over there in general must you, be amazing. It, it was, like, I've, I've Dude. <laughs> Uh, qualifying tournament that began with a whole match against
2: Albania the 2-0 win at La- the old landsdam Was that the one where they had to get the kit from Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really sad because of course the Albania the, the whole Soviet Union uh, had broken up and it's although Albania wasn't part of the Soviet Union it had consequences into what happened in the Balkans as well so you had all these newly independent states now Albania had been an independent state for, for many years but uh, because of the, the communist system had broken down a lot of these countries had absolutely no money they were making this in Incredible transformation from being communist bloc countries to being sort of, you know, capitalist countries. So they absolutely know me. means the football federation. They arrived um, in, in Dublin on, on a on a chartered plane, and they had the the Dublin airport authorities had to get. Reassurances that they would be able to pay for the fuel to fly fly out. That sort of stuff. They came over with with, well enough football gear, with no footballs. So So between the FEI. People in FIFA, people in UEFA, and local business people in Dublin, they rallied together and made sure they had a, 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 nearly enough food to eat. Basically, that's how, how sad it was. So we began off. We began with that. We were in Albania twelve months later, and you can see the poverty in the place. So again, you see how these countries have thankfully. Developed and progressed o- over the years, and uh, it's a beautiful country. So, uh, so it began with that one. We had the famous, the finale to that campaign was the was the amazing night in in Windsor Park in Belfast, where Adam, the late Alan McLaughlin got the the, the equalising goal, and that got us to the World Cup finals. Simultaneously, uh, the I think Spain, Spain and Denmark, Denmark. That result went for us. So a draw in Belfast was enough for give. so it was that tight and uh, only for McLaughlin's equaliser we were gone and then we got to the World Cup and to beat Italy uh, in the giant stadium which I think was held about 75,000 and I would say easily 60,000 of those were in green now the Italians that wasn't a big game for them getting to the final was their goal and they lost it to the Brazilians on penalties but for us to, to to rule the giant stadium that day with our fans beat the Italians an outstanding a, a team They're a bit like that, as I was talking about, about the Juventus team that won the World Cup more mm-hmm. or less with Italy in 82 the Milan team that had won the European beaten Ajax a few weeks earlier in the Champions League final seven of that team Six of them started mm. against us, and th- seven came on as a sub. That shows how well we played that day. And Paul McGrath probably putting a ten out of ten performance at, at centre half, and he brought the whole team with him. And when you look at John Sheridan, was outstanding in that World Cup. So mm. A player who's often forgotten about. Yeah. Steve Staunton played left full, oh, sorry left side of midfield with Terry Phelan. We played five in midfield. Gary Kelly started that tournament on the bench, but when Dennis Irwin uh, got suspended he get in and Jack didn't drop him hmm. because that's how well he played yeah. and there was a sanding side and with McIntyre coming off the bench we probably needed a bit more up front Tommy Coyne Worked his socks off. Niall Quinn was, was sadly injured. We needed probably another striker too. I think we'd had that. We would have had a chance against it. The Dutch beat us in, in a second round game. Deservedly so. We didn't play particularly well. But that was an incredible tournament. We had, we had the famous time. Jack having the row with the uh, the official. Decided to pitch in Orlando. And the heat. I always, That's one thing about people. If you look at it. The heat. We were playing at 12 noon in Orlando. Like people don't go out in Orlando at 12 noon they go indoors it's that hot yet FIFA had teams playing football at midday which was absolutely ridiculous and the
1: Mexico and Holland games were both there if I remember rightly weren't they? they were both there yeah um, so, yeah, it didn't, uh, it didn't really suit us, that's for sure. And everyone probably remembers Steve Staunton in the parade before the Italian game with the, ha- with the hat on.
2: But and He was in Tremora, Betty's town on the beach, you know, on a hot day. Was all, it, all he, he was he short suffered. of was
1: the, was the cricketer's uh, big point yeah, patch across he, the nose with the, with the sunblock. But, yeah. but
2: And having wait. the red hair, I sympathised with him because he, he suffered. Yet he, he played outstanding, you know.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: It's like, it was an amazing time. And, you know, I suppose we could, we could spend so, so much time talking about all these different things. But like the, the Jack Charlton era comes to an end at Anfield um, and obviously steps away after that, which was sort of a sad time for us all because it was the end of an era and a lot of the players have moved along and everything else. But in terms of your your experience over the years covering you know not just the Irish team but what what is what is the biggest thing that's changed do you think and you, you mentioned it earlier on you wouldn't you know you feel sorry for anybody getting into the, the the journalism industry at the moment but um what do you think has changed so you know the most and and where where have things maybe disimproved if you wanted to put it that way well the access
2: would, would be the big thing uh, 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 you know as, as I said earlier on the, the fact that ringing up a player, in GA or ringing up a player in football and he can still
1: do to, to a large degree in, in League of Ireland football but even then there's a bit more the restrictions The, 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 yeah. the League of Ireland well. is, is definitely the, the, the standout at the minute in that sense I think in terms yeah. of the access is better The
2: international football team you, you've got a problem if you want to interview in the old days uh, I would have say of the, the the top 20, 25 Ireland senior internationals back in the early mid, late now even in the early early noughties. But certainly in the nineties, I had the phone numbers, mobile phone numbers or home numbers of the most of them now. Some of them would talk, some of them wouldn't, but you, you could you could ask them now you've you, you, it's almost impossible to go directly to them. You have to go through a press officer in, in, in a club. And even, sometimes, even press officers won't even return a text message or a phone call. Mm. So that, that's where you stand. So getting building a relationship then becomes harder. We, we used to fly with the Ireland football team the same flights, we used to stay in the same hotel. But staying in the same hotel changed under Mick McCarthy. I can understand why in the late 90s, because there were more media uh, getting uh, sort of privacy, fair enough. But getting not. Traveling in the, with, on the plane, home and away, is again removing another layer of the of the possibility of of meeting these people, mm. and that's how you you build up relationship. Having a chat with someone at a at a carousel at an airport, chatting to them, maybe you know, somewhere waiting for a plane or waiting in on a bus or getting on the That's how you meet people, and that's how you build up relationship. So now, you know, when I finished six eight months ago. I would have had probably less than half of the Ireland football team's phone numbers to to to, to contact. And that would probably be reflected through most of my colleagues in the,
1: in the national media in in Dublin and Cork. Yeah, and I remember reading, uh, I can't remember which journalist it was, I think it would have been under Pillar Caffrey when he was managing Dublin. And um, the first night that they were training or whatever in Parnell Park, when the journalists were arriving, one of the uh, Dublin press guys was handing out a piece of paper with all of the players' phone numbers on it. Which it yeah. wasn't that long ago, yeah. Like Maybe I suppose it's probably twenty-five years or twenty odd years ago at this stage. But that's how how much things have changed. And even what you were saying there, I'm assuming that even if you do get access or a response from the press officer, they want to see the questions you're going to ask beforehand as well. Yeah, that can sometimes happen. Adults, if, if it's maybe if it's a
2: phone call, or if maybe even if it's a, if you go over to to meet to meet them and interview them in, in England. They might want to sit in on the interview, and they might try to to uh, intervene or to maybe to to deflect the questions. So that's that's all there. now. this this, this whole idea that every that you have to kind of toe the, the the club line, um, you know. And and English football clubs, the press officers are always wary when players go on international duty, and not just with Ireland with England or with France or whoever. Because when they get away, sometimes players will say things in a different environment that they won't say when they're mm. when they a club press officer. And looking you over the shoulder, and these clubs now have four, five, six press officers, and that's on top of what they have in the social media department. It's a it's an incredible the whole media end of sport, uh, from the club end or from a franchise end or from an association federation end. It's just it's just
1: multiplied. It's mm. just in, in, incredible now. That's and that's following what's 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 happened from the states. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it always seems to come across eventually. Um, and just to, in terms of yourself, I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this lots of times since you've uh, since you've retired. But what would be your standout memories? Because you've covered so many, not just football, but you've covered so many things. You talked yeah. to me before we started about Meads All Ireland wins when you were working for the local paper in Navan. What memories stand out for you, good, bad, and different from your from your time working in sport? Well, starting off
2: when I was working for the local news in Drogheda back in '83. When Gerard Martin was got the winning goal up in Milltown for Drogheda against Shamrock Rovers to get the team into the UEFA Cup, they Pipton on in the league that year to get second place at home won the league, so they got into the into the UEFA the UEFA Cup. Then they were hammered home and away by by Spurs six nil in United Park and eight nil in White Hart Lane. But that night when Drogheda, that was a big breakthrough moment for the club, uh, going on to into into Navin. Uh, the, the, I remember the day that um, in Crow Park in '86 horrible lashing rain day in, um, in in Crow Park when Mead beat Dublin not 9 to not 7 to win the Leinster the first Leinster Football Championship in 16 years that was the break, that was the Mead breakthrough even though the, they had won the um, centenary, centenary Cup, Cup two yeah. years earlier to beat Dublin a very good Dublin Dublin team that had ruled the roost in, in Leinster for well over a decade and Mead won that day, and it was tough. It was physical. And Mead won the physical battle that day, and then the sweat, the, the pendulum of power had moved to Sean Boylan and that Mead team. which was an incredible. And you know, if you look at it, it had huge players, it had physically powerful players, mentally tough players: Mick Lyons, Joe Castles, Liam Hayes, Colm O'Rourke. Uh, you know, those are he. They were there were big players uh, 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 uh Jerry McKinty uh, yeah. that that whole team they had big players but big personalities and you needed that to beat Dublin because they were a team of of, of the same uh, had the same attributes the same qualities as, as Meade but Meade won that won the the next two rounds 87 88 so they those those that day, I, mean, I was always struck, struck me that mean won the battle that day, mm. and they then asserted themselves as the best team in Leinster, and then subsequently the best team in Ireland.
1: And in terms of um, maybe one final final memory from me, in terms of covering the international soccer team, I suppose again plenty to choose from there from that time in the nineties. But did stand out. Yeah, well, as as a fan,
2: Houghton's, Houghton's goal in 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 I was there when in in when the team beat Romanian penalties in 1990 in January. That was incredible. Mm. And uh, one little funny story, I mean, how, how t- times had changed. I'd been in, in, up in games in Mount and in, in Lancelot Road was maybe less than 10,000 in, in, in Mount and fifteen twenty thousand 20,000 in, in Lancelot Road for friendlies. Yet by Talia 90, after Euro 88, you had an, just amazing bandwagon of people who were covering uh, supporting the team. And I remember for, for, the, for the penalty shootout, there was a family behind me discussing what was happening, and they're obviously probably maybe from a rugby background. They were from a from a, were from a rather posh Dublin background. You could tell from the accents. And the father was explaining to the son as what would happen now with the with the with the uh, penalty shootout, and he assured his, his eight year old son that uh, Ireland would would have their penalties at this end. Packy Bonner would would save the penalties at this end, and at the other end, the Ireland would take their penalties into a different goal. Me. So that showed you what you had. You had this you had this incredible bandwagon of people. Who had no interest in football were now supporting the team, and that was a that was a great day. Packy Bonner, you know, he's, he's that save is one of the is it the day. iconic yeah. moment in our sport, and of course we, we can't forget the penalties from Cascarino and and the lads that day, and David O'Leary who'd been cast out by by Charlton for best part of. Three years, get back and got got, I, the got the winning penalty. I
1: think Cascarino's uh, David hit the net before the ball on that particular yeah. occasion. And but yeah, that that iconic save and the nation holds its breath line from George Hamilton as well, which is one of the most yeah. famous ones as well. So and then in '94,
2: it was obviously again Razor getting the the putting the ball in the Italian net this time, and and, and sadly you know when, when Jack. Bowed out in in Anfield. That was uh, and we don't remember. I, mean, I was there for oh two. Thankfully in in in, Saipan, in which we won't go there. <laughs> we spent <a> <laughs> series the series right yeah. yeah, so uh, you know, we did, coming back, drawing one all with Cameroon that day, the uh, three 0 winning against against the Saudis, and then of course the the, the game that most people remember that was the one all draw with Germany with Robbie Keane the, with the late late equaliser and we probably should have beaten the Spanish in because we're the better side in, in extra time even though we'd only 10 men and I think Mick, Mick McCarty would admit now that he didn't realise that they'd only 10 men for part of the, the uh, end of this of this, the second period of of extra time we were really good that we finished the stronger we're the fitter side and sadly we lost in the penalty lottery we could have gone on further mm. had we right keen the team I think we could have possibly beaten the Spanish people said we could have won the World Cup I'm not com- completely convinced that it was a great Brazilian team but
1: could we go to the semi-final possibly yeah absolutely look at it Paul it's been absolutely brilliant to have you and I feel like we could spend the whole evening here <laughs> exchanging stories and and, uh, and talking talking about your career but it's been uh it's been brilliant to have you in here, and you're one of the first uh, one of the first faces I remember seeing up at United Park when I started covering Draw United. So it's been great to get you in, and as I said, uh, I'm sure we'll be we'll be seeing plenty more of you. You won't be uh, ha- hanging up the pen if that's such a thing these days. But uh, thanks so much for popping in and sharing some of your memories with us. You're very welcome, David. LMFM Sunday Sport with thanks to the LMFM app. Download for free now and take us with you everywhere you go.